verses of Psalm 18. Psalm 18, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The sorrows of death compass me in the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry came before him even into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. And the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke. O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him. And I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With a pure thou wilt show thyself pure. And with a froward thou wilt show thyself froward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but will bring down high looks. For thou will light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee have I run through a troop, 
And by my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. This is the holy word of God. The text for the sermon is verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 18 was very likely written sometime late in David's life, and that's evident from two considerations. First of all, the placement of this psalm in the book of 2 Samuel. What's interesting about Psalm 18 is that it is duplicated almost word for word in 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel covers the life and the reign of King David. It consists of 24 chapters and so by the time we get to chapter 22 we're almost to the end of the book and that's where we find this psalm close to the end of David's life secondly we read in the heading to the psalm that well let me just read the whole of the heading as it appears in my Bible a psalm of David the servant of the Lord who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Special mention is made there of Saul because he was arguably David's worst enemy. But David penned this psalm after the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies. And so again, very likely late in David's life. Therefore, if we went to the point where David was in his life when he wrote this psalm, we can look back over the whole of his life and really see three distinct periods in David's life, and all of them were characterized by conflict. There was the first period of his life when he was younger, and he wrestled a bear, he fought a lion, he fought a Philistine giant, and then for years he had to escape Saul, who was hunting him. That was his life conflict. There is then what we could think of as the middle period of his life, his prime. He had been anointed king over Israel. He took the throne. And then for the establishment of the kingdom, he was constantly warring against all of the neighboring Canaanite nations, including also the Philistines, for the sake of the kingdom. More bloodshed conflict and struggle. First Chronicles 22 verse 8 says, he shed blood abundantly and made great wars. And then the third period would be the latter period of his life when he's older, all of his sons had grown, they become adults, and then his son Absalom rebels and tries to seize the throne from Father David and even chases and tries to kill his own father. More conflict, even right within the home of David. That was his life. His whole life was characterized by strenuous conflict. When was there a nice period of peace and quietness for David in his life? 
God could have ordained a very different life for David. It was one of conflict. And now he's, he's late in his life. He's looking back over the whole of his life. And he writes Psalm 18 as a celebration of all of the wonderful deliverances that God gave to him. He had escaped death so many times. And the Lord delivered him out of the hand of his enemy so many times. So he rejoices in the God of his salvation. And it's right in the middle of this very long psalm that he looks back over the whole course of this life with all of its conflict and struggle. And really, he reduces everything to one simple and beautiful confession of faith so that this is what David said about the whole of his life, which was a life of conflict. As for God, his way is perfect. My life, my whole life, in all its perfect plan was ordered by God ere my days began, and God's way for my life is perfect. We want to join David tonight and make that confession wherever you are, whatever period, phase of your life you may be in, whatever the conflict and struggle may be, let's confess with David that God's way is perfect for us. I have to say, having been a pastor, one of the great blessings of being a pastor is to be able to visit the people of God and all of their great needs and the hardships of their life And it's so remarkable to hear them in one tribulation after another say, God's way is perfect. And they mean it. You mean it. His way is perfect. It's very clear in the Bible. But it's another thing to be able to say it, to confess it. And God gives David God gives us that grace. God's way for my life is perfect. So we want to take that main confession out of the text, lift it up, let's make it our theme, let's state it, let's repeat it, let's explain it, let's drive it home, and then may God send us home able to confess it from the heart. If you can make this very, very remarkable, astounding confession, if you can make this confession tonight, You're in a very good place, spiritually. May God grant it. As for God, His way is perfect. Let's look, first of all, at the content of this confession. Second, the source of this confession. And third, the making of this confession. Way. As for God, His way is perfect is perfect. The word way literally refers to a path that has a beginning. It moves in a certain direction, and then it has an end, a destination. Now we'll come back to that simple basic meaning of the word, but here in the text it's used figuratively to describe God's sovereign plan for our life and His power to govern our life. Really His way is his plan and his power to govern everything. So that just as we speak of a CEO in some company having his way, and you say about the man in the company, well, here he does things his way. That's our God. 
He's absolutely sovereign. He has his way, and he does things his way as he governs all things. Our God is sovereign. He governs everything. We confess in Psalm 115, verse 3, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And so in order to emphasize that sovereignty, David here in the opening phrase of the text, he doesn't use the covenantal name for Jehovah, for God, that is Jehovah, Lord, I am that I am, but he uses that name God, the very first name of God we read in the Bible, in the beginning, God, God of sovereign power and might created the heavens and the earth. And now here, as for God, sovereign, mighty God, his way is perfect. His way. Now it's true that God has his way for all things in the whole of the universe, but the focus of David in Psalm 18 is upon God's way for him personally, and that's very plain from all of the personal pronouns used throughout the psalm, so that David is confessing as for God in all of his dealings with me in my life, his way is perfect. Now let's come back to the literal meaning, the basic meaning of the word way, a path as a beginning, moves in a certain direction and has an end, and understand that David had a way. I have a way, you have a way, it's the whole course of our life as it's been ordained by God. It has a beginning in our mother's womb. It moves through the course of our life and it ends in the grave. That's our way. And understand now from the text, God's way, His sovereign plan and His power, governs our way, the course of our life. That's true at the very beginning in our mother's womb. We don't have any say. We don't control anything. We don't get to determine to whom we will be born. Will our parents be Christians or will they be pagans? Will they be Americans? Will they be Asians? Will they be rich? Will they be poor? Will father and mother love each other? We don't have any say. We don't control any of the circumstances into which we are born. The world and what it's like. If we happen to be born into a church, what that may be like. What our physical condition may be. What era of history we are in. The circumstances of the home into which we are born, our little body and how it grows in the womb, we have no control. And that was true of David too, as he was conceived in the womb of the wife of Jesse. It was God's will that David be born of Jesse, that David be born in the line of the Messiah, that David be born at the time of the beginning of the kingdom of Israel. But it could have been very different for anyone else. God's way determines the beginning in the belly, and then God's way determines the whole course of our life, every step of the way, every circumstance and event of every day, all of the joys, all of the sorrows, all of the relationships, all of the interactions, step by step, moment by moment, it's all been ordained. It's all been planned by God. Right to the very end. The last steps leading up to the grave, the final beatings of the heart, the breathings of the lungs, and then you close your eyes and you die, 
And someone takes your body and they put it in a casket, they close the door, they dig a hole, they lower your body into the lower parts of the earth and cover it back up with dirt. And then they say goodbye and they walk away from the cemetery. And that's the end. From mother's belly all the way to the grave. To the grave. And you think about it for David. He wasn't killed by the paw of the lion, by the paw of the bear, by the spear of Goliath, by the javelin of Saul, by the sword of one of the Canaanite nations or their kings, by the hand of Absalom. It looked like he would die, but he didn't. And God kept him alive and gave him many years so that he was old and stricken in years and lying on his deathbed, enabled then to give a final charge to his son and heir Solomon from his deathbed. And then he died. God's way determines our way, the whole course of life, from the belly to the grave. Not only that, God's way determines every way of every human being. God is sovereign over all. And he not only controls David's way and my way and your way, but the whole organic interconnectedness of all paths and how paths intersect and how one path runs alongside of another one and for how long. So you look at the path of David and think of all the different people who were in his life who had an influence and an impact upon David from Jesse to the older brothers to his mother to prophets like Samuel to Nathan the prophet, friends like Jonathan, father-in-law, Saul, enemy Saul, Absalom, Joab, Hushai, Barzillai, Bathsheba, Uriah, Nabal, Abigail, kings of the neighboring nations, all these different people somehow, in some way, had an impact upon David's life. My way, your way, from the belly to the grave, has been eternally planned and is governed by God so that His way is sovereign for us in our life. God's way. David confesses, as for God, His way is perfect. Perfect. That means it conforms absolutely to the highest standard of goodness, which is God's own being. How God governs your path is in perfect conformity. It doesn't deviate a hair's breadth to the left or to the right. It's in perfect conformity with Him, with His own absolutely good and righteous being. Perfect. And David is able to say about God's way, it is perfect as he by faith looks in three directions. First of all, as he looks up at God, believing that everything God does is for God's glory. That's where he begins in Psalm 18. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. 
God is absolutely sovereign, but God is not capricious. God is not arbitrary. God is not cruel in what He ordains for someone's life. God is God. And God is perfect. And though David can't completely understand it in all of its details, he looks up by faith, he sees his great God, and he understands everything God has ordained for his life somehow, in some way, serves God's glory. And that's what makes it perfect. It's for him. Secondly, David can say perfect as he looks around him. And he sees the kingdom of Israel. And he believes that everything God ordains for his life somehow in some way serves the kingdom. The kingdom of God as it was manifested in Old Testament Israel. The kingdom as it came in the subduing of the neighboring nations. The kingdom that would one day have a king. And so the king was coming. The the better king of whom David was only a type. The Lord Jesus Christ Somehow, in some way, the conflict of my life right now, it serves the coming of the kingdom. And that makes God's way perfect. And then third, as he looks at himself, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and now thy will be done in my own life. And when David understands by faith, that everything God ordains for him is for him, for his good, for his salvation, for the strengthening of his faith, for the conforming of him to the image of the Messiah. That makes it perfect. Perfect. And So now here he is later in his life. He's looking back over the whole course of his life, all these enemies and how God gave deliverance over all these enemies. And David says about the whole of his life, As God has ordained it, and as God orchestrates it and controls it, God's way for my life is perfect. Not merely adequate or satisfactory or okay. It's perfect. And that's such a remarkable confession when you actually stop and think about David's life. That he could use the adjective perfect. How bad was it? Well, verse 4 says the sorrows of death compassed him. Verse 5 says the sorrows of hell compassed me about. Verse 17 speaks of the strong enemy and those who hated him. The immediately preceding verse, verse 29 says, For by thee I have run through a troop. There were troops By my God, have I leaped over a wall. There were walls. So think back to David's life just for a moment. He was hunted. Now sometimes someone says something evil about us. They insult us. And that's a big deal to us. But understand, Saul hunted David, desiring to kill him so that David had to flee over and over again, far away from God's house on the other side of the Jordan. He was running. Think of how sick he must have felt to the stomach, the punch to the gut, when he discovered that his trusted friend and advisor Ahithophel had betrayed him and cast his lot with Absalom. 
And then think about Absalom. Absalom was David's enemy, but Absalom was the son of David's loins, his own flesh and blood. And Absalom wanted to kill his own father and seize the throne. And then he died. And you know that bitter cry of lamentation. Though it was the enemy, it was also David's son. And David knew where Absalom went the moment he died. He knew his own son perished everlastingly. And all that grief comes out in that bitter lamentation. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, Absalom. There's Shimei, that foul-mouthed cursor who's throwing stones at David and cursing him as a son of Belial. God could have ordained a much easier life for David, much less conflict and enemies and tears, but he didn't. He ordained for David a life of continual conflict. And the one word David uses to describe it all is perfect. God's way for my life is perfect. We can understand that better than David could. Indeed, God's way for David's life was perfect because David's life in the old dispensation was a historical type. It was a picture of the better royal life of conflict to come. David's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you trace his life from the belly to the grave According to his humanity, he was born of a woman, and as soon as he was born, he was hunted. So they had to rush him into Egypt. Herod sought his life. And then you fast forward all the way to his ministry. He was constantly opposed by the scribes, the chief priests, the Pharisees. They were always seeking to trap him. And finally, they wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him. But there was something worse than all of that conflict. It was the inner turmoil in his soul. Because the Lord Jesus Christ was appointed the sin bearer in the covenant so that God imputed to him all of the guilt of all of our sins. And he carried that. And he felt that wrath of God upon him and all of the inexpressible agony that must have been in his soul, especially in that last week. And in those last hours as he was hanging on that cross, Behold and see his sorrow. Is there any sorrow like unto the sorrow of the Messiah? Bearing the curse of God on the cross for our sins. And yet, what did he say among all that that pain and that turmoil within? He himself said, As for my God, his way for me. This way of redemption, this way of the cross, this way of agony, it is perfect. Because this is the way that brings glory to God. Because this is the way that serves the coming of the kingdom. Because this is the way that brings salvation to the people of my God. My God's way for my life, confess Jesus in perfect submission, is perfect. And now back in the Old Testament, in a very dim way, David's royal life of conflict is a type of the better, higher, saving royal life of conflict to come. So of course we will say with David, God's way for David's life was perfect. 
It foreshadows the way of the Messiah. Perfect. As for, as for God, His way is perfect. David doesn't say God's way is perfect. He says, as for God. And what he's doing is he's setting up a contrast there between God and between everyone else. He's implicitly acknowledging that my way for my life is not perfect. I'm a very selfish man by nature. and I always want the way of least resistance. And I'm very short-sighted. I can't see the end from the beginning and how everything serves to bring about the end. And besides that, and worst of all, I'm very sinful. And sometimes in sinful rebellion, I say, my way. I want it my way. And my way is her. I want her. Bring her to me into my chamber. And that's what I do against my God, says David. I break his commandment. And I take my neighbor's wife. My way for my wife, for my life is so often sinful. And then here are all these enemies who hate me. David speaks of them in the psalm. I'm merciful to them, but they don't show mercy in return. They're cruel. I'm pure and upright, but they're froward and they're wicked. And they have a way for my life. They seek my destruction. They want me destroyed everlastingly. Their way for me it is not perfect. It's abominable. But God, as for God, His way is perfect. Only and always perfect. For my thoughts, says God, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so this is David's confession. As for God, His way is perfect. The source of that remarkable confession, for the question arises, how could anyone ever make such an astonishing confession? The source of that confession is the word of Jehovah, planted in the heart. When the word is in the heart, then out of the heart and through the lips will come this confession of the text. That's the teaching of the second half of the text where we read, the word of the Lord is tried, is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. The word of the Lord, that's the word of Jehovah. And now here David uses the covenantal name, Jehovah. The word of the Lord is the word in which God reveals himself as a covenant God to his people for the sake of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I'm your covenant God. I love you. That's the word of the Lord. And David had that word of the Lord spoken. He had it preached to him in his day through the prophet Samuel and then later through the prophet Nathan. But David and the Israelites also had that word of Jehovah written down. It could be read to them by the priests. It was the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, often referred to as the book of the covenant. That was the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord 
is tried. That means it's tested and it proves itself to be reliable and valuable. Just as you take a piece of metal and you put it in the heat of the fire and then all of the impurities are burned away and all of the dross and you pull that metal piece of metal back out, it's been tried. It's been tested and now it's been proven that this piece of metal is reliable and valuable. The word of the Lord is tried. That means the word of the Lord goes into the fire. When does the word of the Lord go into fire? Well, the whole context here is David's life of conflict and all this struggle and turmoil. And when David's at the great day of conflict, which is a day of fire for him, fiery tribulation is nowhere to go, nowhere to turn ever, but to the word, to the word of the Lord. And so he turns to the word of the Lord and the word is with him. And the word goes with him in the fire of conflict. And when that's the case, and this is true throughout all the generations of the covenant, there is no exception. When you turn to the word of the Lord in the day of fiery trouble and conflict, it is tested and it always proves itself. It always demonstrates itself to be reliable, invaluable. It will never shame you. You can rely upon the word of the Lord. It is tried. How does it show itself to be reliable and valuable? The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. David trusts in the Lord by the wonderful and precious gift of faith. When he puts his trust in the word, he's putting his trust in the Lord. And as he puts his trust in the Lord by trusting in the word, the Lord becomes his buckler. The word of the Lord is tried. He, Jehovah, is a buckler. That's the small round shield that the soldier would arm himself with to deflect the fiery darts of the enemy. The Lord is a buckler. David puts his trust in the word of the Lord, and in that way, the Lord himself becomes a buckler to protect him from the fiery darts of the devil. So that every time he's in the battle, he's in conflict, he's in fire, there are troops to run through, there's a wall over which he must leap, he's being hunted, he's being chased, he goes to the word. And in that way, Jehovah himself becomes a buckler to protect his heart. Now, when that word is in the heart, as David trusts in that word, it's that word that becomes the source out of which David is able to make this remarkable confession. In order to understand that, just think of what it would be like if you took the word away. So take the word out of David's life. You take that word out of his life and out of his heart. Now... He no longer has Jehovah as a buckler to protect him. Now he won't look up and say, God, it's all for his glory. Now he won't look around and say, the kingdom of Israel and the coming of its king. All this conflict serves the kingdom. Now he won't be able to look at himself and say, 
All these things are subservient to my salvation. And without the word and Jehovah God as his buckler, his heart is opened up. It's exposed. And here come the fiery darts of the temptation to be angry. And now David gets angry with God. Why me? Why my life this way? And here comes a fiery dart of the temptation to be jealous. Why them? Why is their life so prosperous? And I always have all this conflict. No buckler, expose heart. When David trusts in the Lord, by trusting in the word of the Lord, Jehovah God becomes his buckler. He protects him from all those darts and protects within David's heart that faith, that confidence, that hope, that comfort, that peace. So when that word is within, then no matter what happens, David will be able to confess God's way for my life is perfect. The word is the source and the power. The word of the Lord. Well, what very concretely is that word of Jehovah? Well, to give just a couple of examples, the word of the Lord is the word of the atonement. Leviticus 16, verse 34, And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And then everything that follows. David knows Leviticus 16. The word of the atonement. And now, the great temptation for David, when he's being chased, and now he's all the way on the other side of the Jordan, he's shivering, he's hiding in a cave somewhere, Someone's hunting him, his life. The great temptation for David is that it's not Saul. It's not Absalom who's coming over the horizon to find me and slay me. It's God. All this trouble in my life is God coming in wrath because I'm a sinner who have sinned grievously against Him. God is coming. He's hunting me. He's going to find me judge me, condemn me, and slay me. Oh God, how I have grossly transgressed all thy commandments. The great temptation is that God is against him. And here's the word, the word of the Lord, which never fails. David, David, I'm the God of the atonement. I have made a promise that I will give to you and all my people my only begotten Son, so that as you see that blood running off the altar, that's a picture and a promise, that I will give to you the blood of my only begotten Son, and I wash you of all of your sins in His blood, and I declare you to be righteous. David, I love you. For Jesus' sake, I'm never against you. No matter how much conflict there may be in your life, I'm never against you. I'm always for you, for Jesus' sake. Well, when that word is in the heart, then David will be able to say, in any circumstance, God's way for my life is perfect. The word. Or listen to just a few selections from the last book of the book of the covenant, Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. 
He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Imagine David meditating on Deuteronomy 33, 25-27. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. That's the word of the covenant God. And that word, when God puts it in the heart, becomes the source out of which David, in any circumstance, is able to say, God's way for my life is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. We have the word of the Lord tonight. The word of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And through the proclamation of it, God puts the word in our hearts so that we are able to make the confession of the text with David and say, as for God, His way is perfect. There's conflict, isn't there? And there's struggle. Strenuous struggle. And there's all kinds of walls and troops and enemies. Maybe your Saul is Satan who relentlessly hounds and hunts you to keep chipping away at your faith to get you to doubt that God does not love you to fear God does not love you. And he's relentless, the devil. And there may be some poor, perplexed, even depressed child of God who's being assaulted by the devil as David was assaulted by Saul. You may have a shimei in your life, a foul-mouthed cursor who's cursing you. Or an Ahithophel one with whom you took sweet counsel and you walked to the temple together and all of a sudden he or she turns and betrays you and is now against you. You may have a little microscopic troop of soldiers in the form of some disease, perhaps cancer, or some other disease that comes up upon you to eat up your flesh. And that's your lot in life right now. You may have some contentious relationship right now that the devil tries to capitalize upon and makes you weary of life. Or maybe there's the great enemy, the last great enemy, death. That death has come and taken a loved one from you. Maybe a, maybe a, a young child. Or death through, through some sudden tragedy. And that's the great trouble of life. Or perhaps there's some great sorrow of the past, some tragic experience, some horrific experience, and the devil keeps bringing it before you and causing you to relive your past and filling you with terror. Or the fiery darts of the devil are aimed at you, the darts of the temptation to be afraid, to be anxious, to worry. As you look at the economy or you look at things in the political realm 
and the trajectory of the nation in which we live, or you look at things ecclesiastically and the conflict that we've experienced, especially in the last few years. And I can't help but think of some individuals who have a spouse who's been carried away with a current of conflict and schism. And now the spouse coming alone to worship. And the great grief, the, the inexpressible sorrow and anguish of soul. And what, what do we say about all this? So much conflict often in the life of God's people. Here we see David and his confession. And let's join him with the word of God within us. As for God, his way for our life, for my life, is perfect. Now, to think about that, very really, very concretely, just lay out the whole of your life in your mind's eye on a timeline, say a big banner, hundreds of feet long, and on that banner is the timeline of your life. It begins in your mother's womb, day one of your life. Day two, day three, year one, year 10, year 20. Every single day, and with each day, every circumstance, every event. It's the whole of your life. And now look at the whole of your life from the point of view of God's sovereignty. Not so much from the point of view of your sin and all the sins you've committed. Those are covered in the blood of Jesus. But from the point of view of God's sovereignty and what He has ordained what He works in your life. And up above the timeline is written, God's way for my life. Then you, you go over your life and think about it all. And now imagine taking a bright red Sharpie and you can circle anything on your timeline that God should not have ordained. Something that should not have been planned by God for your life your life would be better without it. So that you can circle this event or that relationship or this experience that you would have taken out. So go back to your mother's belly. And now move through your life. All the days of your life everything that's ever happened to you in body and soul up to this present hour. And what are you going to circle and say, God should not have planned that for my life. And though there's certainly a kind of inclination to say this or that, When the word of God is planted deep within your heart, and this was true of David, the child of God will put the cap on the pen and set it down and say, I will not draw one circle. Because God's way, as he ordained it for my life, is perfect from the belly of my mother to this present hour perfect. Believing the words of Romans 8 verse 28, and all things work together for good.
to them that love God. All things work. Together. Together. So that if you take one thing out of your life, the whole plan crumbles and is ruined because God ordained everything a mother's belly to the grave. He ordained everything, including all of the conflict and tribulation, so that it will all work together for your good. God's way for my life is perfect. If you don't have the word, if you don't have the word of the gospel faithfully preached, if you don't have the word opened up in your home, in your life, if you don't have the word being shared and communicated together in the fellowship of the body, if you don't have the word and you're left all alone with your thoughts and your evaluation, you won't say perfect, and neither will I. We might say unfair, unjust. Why me, O oh God? Why me? We will not say perfect. We might say mysterious and profound. Thy way is in the sea, O oh God, through mighty waters deep and broad. Who can possibly understand God's way? We might say that. Without the word, we will not say perfect. But when God takes the word of the covenant, the word of the cross, the word of the Messiah, the word of the gospel, and he puts that word in our hearts, that word is alive within us. And then by faith we're able to look up and see our great God and believe, though I don't understand and though I can't explain it, every single detail on the timeline of my life has been ordained for his glory. When by faith I'm able to say, though I don't fully understand, everything in my life serves the coming of the kingdom. And everything in my life somehow, some way, it is subservient to my salvation and makes me stronger by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When the word is in the heart, then we're able to say with David, having Jehovah God as our buckler, as for God, His way, for my life is perfect. Now, won't you agree that if you are able to make this confession tonight, you are in a very good place spiritually. So may God take his word and work it in your heart and in my heart that we may leave here tonight and every day of the week be able to say in sincerity from the heart, God's way for my life is perfect. Amen. Let us pray. Who is so good and so faithful as thou art O God of boundless grace, whose mercy is as high as the heavens are above the earth, and whose mercy faileth never, whose love is so strong, strong to save in the Lord Jesus, we are so very blessed to be able to say, Thou art our God. 
Jehovah God, give us the confidence that if thou art for us, nothing and no one can be against us. So glorify thyself by bringing forth out of our hearts and from our tongues the confession given to David long ago. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen.